the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Your open line Friday, your open hour here, 602-508-0960. I see we have something on culture coming up. We'll do that in just a minute. I wanted to get this out first. I brought it up yesterday, and it is an ongoing curiosity to me because if it were – it doesn't pass the shoe on the other foot test. If this went the other direction from another party, it would be every. It would uh, CNN would be back to back coverage on it, as would MSNBC, as would the ACLU, as would every civil liberties organization in this country, of which there are really none anymore, except maybe Alliance Defending Freedom. Maybe that's the last one left. Um, Jen Psaki, in her first press conference, said that the administration was going to be efforting through Homeland Security and other agencies, including the Department of Justice, a disruption of domestic terrorism, extreme domestic terrorism. And what she meant, of course, was political. She meant political. They were going to investigate political violence, as they called it, and as they now label it, all based on and using the January 6th pretext, which is the same pretext you still have for the National Guard in D.C., as well as the walls, the fencing and walls and wire, razor wire, protecting the Capitol, with no credible threat having been disseminated at all. Now, be careful, because while no one is investigating any of this and what the administration is planning on doing, I have my own ideas, but while no one is investigating this, notice that the help is already arriving, the intellectual help. The RAND Corporation, which bills itself as nonpartisan, put out a report today. Let me read it to you. And it's about domestic violent extremism. Quote, jihadist ideology. It's now comparing domestic violent extremism with jihadist ideology. Because if I had heard domestic violent extremism 10 years ago, I would have thought they were talking about jihad. That is not what they're talking about anymore. And Rand is helping the administration out here. Jihadist ideology, with few exceptions, with few exceptions, gained very little traction in America's Muslim communities. In contrast, the beliefs driving today's domestic extremists are deeply rooted in American history and society. What the hell is Rand talking about? Let me give you the next sentence before I go off. Precisely for that reason, some law enforcement officials argue against coming down too hard on those involved in the 1-6 assault, perhaps fearing that doing so might provoke the kind of bloody confrontations witnessed in times past. 
But the jihadists never had a supportive constituency in the United States. Really? Really? <coughs> 300 Americans joining ISIS? 300 Americans joining ISIS? Dozens who joined al-Qaeda? Tell me anything like that. Tell me anything like that with the American right. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. And what is this business? Domestic extremists are deeply rooted in American history and society. What history and society? The history of what? Whose side? Deeply rooted in American history? Domestic extremists deeply rooted in America. The, 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 the story of American history is the fight against extremism and violence. Again, they have turned the narrative inside out. If you want the ideological origins of organizations like the KKK and organizations that supported segregation and organizations that supported Jim Crow, organizations that by any definition were white extremists, If you want the ideological origins for any of that, you go to those who hated the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and Lincoln. You go to the Confederacy. You go to Roger B. Taney and the Dred Scott decision. You go to Plessy versus Ferguson. We, the Republicans, the conservatives, we went with the dissents and made those dissents the majority opinions after the Civil War. You want those who thought the Declaration of Independence was a lie and a fraud? Fine. You go to Alexander Stevens and Jefferson Davis, the head of the Confederacy. You want those of us that thought that the Declaration of Independence meant that slavery was going to be put on the course of ultimate extinction and banned slavery in the Northwest Territory? You go to Lincoln and the Union. You want to look at the part of the country that believed that the Declaration of Independence was a fraud. It was the minority part of this country. And it lost. Deeply rooted in American history. What year are they living in? What year are they living in? Who's talking about race these days? Who's begging that we stop racializing America? Which side? And if you want to tell me that the attack on January 6th was a white supremacist attack, please show me the evidence. If you want to tell me that the Proud Boys were the largest group there, that's fine. Their leader is an Afro-Cuban, hardly a white supremacist organization. This is propaganda. North and south, east and west, inside and out, up and down. Sheer propaganda to tarnish conservatives and the right. Why do you think it took 27 days to honor the fallen Capitol Hill policeman? Oh, because it would be the week before the impeachment trial in the Senate of Donald Trump? You bet that's why. You bet that's why. And why do we have tears from Rashida Tlaib? 
and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez lying about what took place on January 6th yesterday. And why, if you say this, do they censor you? We used to say that because of the advent of the internet, we had access to more information at our our fingertips than anyone visiting the libraries of Alexandria or, for that matter, any library, any library, any encyclopedia. We used to brag about the power of intelligence in our smartphones being greater than the power of the computer in our spaceships of the 60s and 70s. And so the masters of these organizations, of these corporations, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, They realized that too, which is why they started taking down one side of the debate. It connects all the way back to what I was saying in the previous hour about consent of the governed. You cannot have consent of the governed if you only have one side of every issue, if you don't have debate. How did Thomas Jefferson put it? Though the will of the majority in all cases to prevail is to prevail, the will to be rightful must be reasonable. And we can tolerate error of opinion where reason is left to combat it. How do you have any notion of what opinion is right and wrong if you don't allow reason to combat it? That is to say, debate and discussion to combat it. Well, this is what you end up with. You end up with the party in one state. 602 We'll be right back. Just so you know what goes on around here, most of the music, 99% of the music I've picked, and the other 50% my producer Bill has picked. And so I'm fine with Rush. He picked it, but I'm fine with it. And um, when most of my music comes on, though, Bill just looks at me. We're, We're separated by two bulletproof panes in a hallway, so... We just work by semaphore and nodding and shakings of heads and Johnny Bench-type finger uh, signals, yeah. And so when one of my songs comes on, he just looks at me impassively like, you know, Jim Halpert in The Office. You know, that, that deadpan look, yeah, nothing, just, you know, little Neil Diamond, a little whatever, who's, whoever brings, this, brings us in. 
But when it's Rush, like we just had, like Closer to the Heart, he's like all dancing and giving me the nod like, okay, yeah, now this is a show I could listen to. Just just so you know what goes on around here. Speaking of music, here's Rob. Hi, Rob. Well, speaking of Rush, it's Rob. And anyway, um, and of course, Bill and I chatted before. Oh, by the way, I have to uh, change my voice so it's a little deeper so that uh, certain suits don't think I'm calling in too much. Um, anyway, I have uh, three main points. One is you mentioned the Rand Corporation. How's my voice doing so far? <laughs> anyway, uh, Rand Corporation. Uh, you probably don't even know this. Uh, founded in 1948 by Curtis LeMay. That should be a familiar name. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Hap Arnold, another familiar name, and the uh, founder of the Douglas Aircraft Company. Um, uh, that but, I knew. That I knew. I didn't know about Curtis LeMay. Yeah, which which makes it kind of interesting. Yeah, because, you know, given the, what the way the, what became later. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah. yeah. Now, um, whenever I think of the Rand Corporation, I think didn't of he run as vice president with uh, as the vice president with um, George Wallace? Am I wrong about that? I don't recall, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I I'd have to look that up. But okay. Yeah. I, I mean, he was you know he was the cigar chump and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hardcore yeah. anti-communist. Yeah. Uh, Air power. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hot Pants LeMay or whatever he was called. Yeah, short. Yeah. 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 Now, that that makes it interesting. But when I think of the Rand Corporation, I think of Herman Kahn. Now, that should be another name that he he founded. uh, No, he founded the The Hudson Hudson Institute. Institute. Yeah, right. Yeah. With with a couple other guys. Iron Pants. Iron Pants. That's what it was. Yeah. And And I remember reading on thermonuclear war. And thinking about the unthinkable, I read those books a long, long time ago. Um, and and the Rand Corporation, by the way, the revenue in 2019 was 357 million dollars, of which there was like 70 million from OSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get a lot of money from million. from the Department of Justice and and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And and what's even more interesting is they got 50, almost 55 million from Homeland Security, yep. 69.7 million from HHS. Yep. They do a lot of that. they do a lot of government contract work. Yep. Yeah. So I, you know, I I just don't know if they've made a, a left turn or what. But but even more importantly, well, there's a couple of more importantly things because it's Friday. One is that um, I have a Facebook friend, Greg Bissonette. He's a great drummer. I know who he is. And, I know who he is. Oh, okay. Well, what's interesting about he has Greg a brother is, too, if I'm not mistaken. That's a musician. But anyway, go on. May, yeah, yeah. Um, he actually was a drummer with Maynard Ferguson. Yep, that's like right. That's how years. I know who he is. You bet. Mm-hmm. Well, and and what makes it even more interesting, and maybe Bill will appreciate this, is that he ended up going from Maynard to after David Lee Roth left uh, the uh, Van Halen band, um, uh, he got picked up by David Lee Roth. To play in the David Lee Roth band, no kidding. Um, so, so there's our connection between Maynard uh, drumming and uh, Van Halen. Now, the most, but the most important part of my discussion has to do with Mrs. Rob finally figuring out the uh, issue about transgenderism and the way she looks at it as that you have uh, males competing, you have females competing. And then a third category, you have transgenders competing, neither male nor female, and separate from male and female. And then 
the same thing applies to the restrooms. Okay, you have male restrooms, female restrooms, and transgender restrooms. And, of course, you know, I could go into a diatribe about defining deviancy down and how wrong and all that stuff is. But, but I think she's on to something. And that may solve the big problem that we're faced with from a, well, maybe not. Or create a whole new series of problems, um, like well, like what's-his-name sure. said in the second Jurassic Park, uh, Ian Malcolm. You know, um, when, he, when, 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 when he was assured that they had solved all the old problems, he said, yes, and you're creating all sorts of new ones, right? I, I, yeah. I, I worry oh, yeah. about this third bathroom, and I worry about this third sports team because – it, it never never mind the issue of resources and space that can be right. probably dealt with but i believe the problem you're going to have over time as i understand the trajectory of these things is that you will have that <clears throat> protected class or that class claiming protection under civil rights law the transgender class mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me saying that this is now a badge of discrimination because we are identifying them as yet a third thing or as yet in the parlance of our times other we are in other words um giving them a um a racial dis- not a racial excuse me a gender distinction a gender classification that they are not seeking that's well, the problem but, but see I they think, want to affiliate they, they want to affiliate with one of the two i don't think they want to affiliate as a third that's the problem i think well you're you're absolutely right, but I think that may be a way of fixing that. And I don't know if you know anybody would make it happen or not. But I, I think Mrs. Rob came up with a reasonable idea that reasonable people could say, "Okay, we understand that this is all doo doo, but I think we could also work it out so that the you know point zero zero two percent of people that identify as something else uh, to." to get along and have their way can can have their own uh, how far program. how far do you think we are yeah i mean look we have um i think it's very insignificant though. no i mean i, I was I just going to say we have we have different different now we talked once about what was taking place a week ago in brentwood with the parent teacher conferences for black parents and white parents mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. and then that wise person i don't know who it was now said now do now do cafeterias, drinking fountains, and restrooms and hotels. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I <clears throat> this is the this is the direction we're going. Oh, I know, and it's scary. But but again, I I don't know how hard we can push back against something like this when you have media people in Hollywood, and of course, you know, the Hollywood has been directly responsible for uh, taking males. And making them wussy. Yeah, of course. No, the effeminization of America, of course, of course. Kathleen Parker once wrote a book called Save the Males. Greg Bissonette, great drummer. Maynard had great drummers. Peter Erskine, who went on to do Weather Report, was a drummer. He drummed with Shelley Mann and Buddy Rich. I think he did an album with Alex Acuna, who was also part of Weather Report, I think. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Sam is in Phoenix. Hello, Sam. Hey, Seth. How are you? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm percolating along. That's well, um, percolating along. That's one of my favorite names, Sam. Per- there you go. 
I don't know why. It just is. I've always liked the name Sam. Well, I'll tell you, when I was in first grade back in 1959, and I, everybody was Jack, Bob, Bill, and Tom, and I said my name's Sam, everybody in the class had a white rat, cat, or dog named Sam. Is that right? So thought, oh, yeah. Was, Did you say my name is Sam, Sam I am? Well, yeah, I got, I got that for sure. Yeah, that's hey, about I the million. I, I figured that was either the millionth time you've heard it or the first. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about the transgender. And okay. I kind of, you know, kind of perked perk my interest. So okay. I kind of went back. I was a pretty good miler, two-miler in the early 70s in Arizona. I was one of the top five or three. What's the and, best uh, mile you've ever run? 422. Holy smokes. Holy smokes. You ran a 422 <laughs> mile? That was uh, 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, that, nonetheless, nonetheless, yeah. you must be listed somewhere. No, no, no. Come on, how many I, people I, can well, do a... Let's put it this way. Bannister, well, well, Bannister did like 359 or something, right? Yeah, he broke the four-minute mile. Yeah, but I mean, there's not a lot of 422s out there. Not a lot. No, not a lot. no, there are not. But distance running was pretty... It reached a peak in the mid seventies. Then the times got slower for a long, long, long time. And uh, did you ever do? A, did you ever do like a marathon? No, I, my specialty was a two mile. Okay. I nine, okay. I ran a nine twenty seven. Until you did a nine twenty seven and two. Wow. Okay. But wow. let's just look at let's just look at the miles. So I said, okay, this transgender situation, and I said, okay, in nineteen seventy two, I want to compare my two mile time. I wasn't, you know, the best high school in the country by far. I was, you know. I was good in Arizona, but, you know, that was about it. But So compare that time, 422 in 1972, to women, to the world's record for the women, and their record was 437. So In Arizona? Had, in Arizona? No, no, the world record for women. The world oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, I'm with you now. Sorry, Sam. Go ahead. Yep. 437. Okay. So the world record for women in 1972 was 437. I, a high schooler in Arizona, ran a 422. So... I, if I had identified as a woman, I would have been the, you know, I could have ran the world record. I could have blown 15 seconds off the world record, you know, if I identified as a woman uh, back in 1972. And, and here's where we're going to go with this, because this is the way I see this going. I think, you know, listen, if you're a young man in Southern California and you're, you're a decent quarter miler, let's just say, and, uh, you know, you're good, but you're not good enough to be, like, you know, the state champion. Right whatever, but you're in the top 25, let's say, and you switch over and you identify as a girl, and all of a sudden, you know, you win the state championship. Yeah, right, right. You're one of the best runners in the West. Right. I call up, I'm that kid, I say, hey, I just won the state girls' state championship. I call up USC and I say, I want a track scholarship. Yep. And I say, no, I don't know, you know, da, da, da. and I said, if you don't give me the track scholarship as a girl, I'm going to sue you. Right. Game over, game's over. Yep. So they're going to fold. You're right, and, uh, Sam. You're probably right so, about that. I'm, so I'm just still enamored with your 422 mile. <laughs> well, thanks. It was a, listen, we didn't have the training. We didn't have the shoes. I've run I mean, less than half that, a little, but not long. So I've done, I don't think, I've probably done a seven something. But I run long. I do the halves and the, and the, and the, the half marathons well, and stuff. It's like anything else. You have to have, you know, you just have to have a, a talent and ability. There was only one shoe when you were doing it, right? The Nike? Nike? No, no, there was Nike. There was Puma, but the technology was really bad. I ran cross, let's put it this way. All my buddies and I ran cross country in, uh, in Anasaki, 
Tiger uh, judo shoes. This That's was before, yeah, because this was before Jim Fix, right? Well, this is before Nike. Pre, Pre-Fontaine was about that time, so Coach Bowerman was making shoes with a waffle iron. That's right, the Nike waffle shoe. I remember that. Yeah, so that was, he was making shoes in his garage. With That's right, the waffle. waffle shoe, the waffle iron shoe. That's right. But you were so, ahead of the uh, curve, right? You were ahead of the book of running. Jim Fix, right? Is my memory right? That was the book of running? That was yeah, a, that was. I mean, running was not popular when I was. No, no, no. Yeah, no. That's what I'm. That's my point. You were ahead of the curve, bigly, bigly. No, yeah. There was there was no big you know big running group or anything like that. I uh, I just ran by myself, but I had an affinity for running. I mean, that's just uh, you know, and uh, you know, I couldn't play football. You know, well, I, actually, I went out for running to strengthen my legs for football, and that's kind of how it all happened. But uh, I am just. Anyway. This is a great call, Sam. Stay close. I want to hear more from you. I will. Okay, I will. brother. I'll give you a call, but anyway, Thanks. that's the idea, so it's interesting. Thank you, sir. Take care, Seth. Godspeed. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Lisa's in Phoenix. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Seth. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I have a challenge for you. Uh-oh. You don't think I'm challenged enough? I think you're too challenged. This is important. Okay. So, you know a lot of people in high places. <laughs> I, I'm more like the song, I know people in low places. <laughs> well, well, for example, Bill I Bennett have friends in low places. As, who is that, Garth Brooks? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you have friends in high places. Bill Bennett is one of them. I think he's one of the best educators in the country. But to make a long story short, all of the talk show hosts need to get together and form some kind of a fund page where half the country can donate. I would be willing to, I don't have a lot of money, but I'm willing to donate to a cause that sets up a platform like Twitter, like YouTube, like Facebook. There's enough money to do that. And the reason I'm upset today is because I heard Jim Daly from Focus on the Family say that his Twitter account was shut down because first transgender, I think she's a, uh, he became a female, uh, is a senator, and she took her mother out of the nursing home before they put COVID this is the Pennsylvania um, uh, Commissioner of Health who is transgender and is appointee, being appointed to Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. Right, yes. Right, okay. right. So, right. so Jim Daly gets booted off of Twitter for saying she is a transgender, a male who became a woman, and that's hate speech. But what they really booted him off for was saying he got pre-knowledge about COVID. Right, right. No, that's, yeah, yeah. no, I know, I know, I know. So why don't we move? Why don't we do something? Stuff like that has to get out. So, Lisa, you you raise a good question, and, and, you know, I don't know what will become of Parler. Um. Parlor's pretty a, a pretty good instruction, though, to people who say if you don't like it, fo- found your own. The, the truth is, we have to, um, in certain in certain respects, we have to use the um, the platforms that exist. Uh, you know, the servers that exist. Apple has the servers. 
uh, or Amazon does. Um, that's one issue. So could we find storage? Maybe. We have, as conservatives, I can just tell you from my my part in the movement, at least, at least over the years, decades, we have tried a few efforts at starting our own television networks, and we've done okay with one and a half, two now, maybe three, burgeoning. Uh, we've tried doing Hollywood several ways, and that failed miserably. It didn't work, S- creating our own uh, movie studios. That just it didn't work. We have uh, tried – I was part and parcel of probably the first effort – to create a conservative university, an outwardly conservative university that could work online, an online university that would have a credentialing program. So unlike PragerU, it would be serious, long courses with semester semesters, and, it would, and we couldn't get credentialed for it uh, because of – so we're not great at it with academia. Hillsdale can do it by taking no public funding. That's the secret to Hillsdale, right? They take no government money. So we only have really a couple of those. The question is can we do it with social – it takes an awful lot of money. And how much money am I talking about? I don't know. I don't know. But it's not a terrible idea. We did it with publishing. We got some publishing houses. We started way back when in publishing with Regnery, way back when in the 50s. I think they published Bill Buckley's first book, if I'm not mistaken, God and Man at Yale. But it takes a lot. Um, Can we do it? Maybe. Should I talk to the folks around Salem about it? Sure. Sure. I'll do it, Lisa. I'll talk to them about it. I don't know know, how far we can go if we're going to compete with – the investors in companies like Parler, which I would hate to do if they're serious and able to get some lift off the ground. But I do think the states need to get involved in non-discrimination statutes that control social media. I really do. Or regulate social media. I really think that's right. I talked to John Hinderocker two days ago or yesterday, Bill. Do you remember? Two days ago. On this very point, if you missed the show, you can get it at our archives. What states are doing, he helped draft the Minnesota law that would forbid discrimination in social media based on uh, any number of traditional civil rights claims, but also political orientation or viewpoint discrimination. The states, we think, have the power to do that. And it's much more likely to take place at the state level than at the national level, given that the states now control 60 percent of the uh, 60 percent of the state legislatures are Republican, whereas the federal government is obviously in the legislative hands of the Democrats. So I think the easier I think it would actually be easier to create these state statues, these state non-discrimination statutes. I think it would be easier than to raise the money that we're talking for a social media platform, which is probably, Lisa, probably, I'd hazard a guess, over a billion, north of a billion bucks that you'd need to raise, north of a billion. Could it be done? Well, we 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 certainly we certainly have we certainly have people that might might be able to put money towards it, starting perhaps 
with the last president of the United States. I'll raise it with some folks. I'll raise it with some folks. I like your energy and I like your initiative, though. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us, some of your week with us. Boy, we got through a lot this week when you think about it, huh? Long week. Hope you all have a great weekend. I, um, I'll close with uh, just a quote that I just think is so dominantly important for our times right now. I used it in my monologue from Robert Jackson. Struggles to coerce uniformity of sentiment in support of some end thought essential to their time and country have been waged by many good as well as by many evil men. Ultimate futility of such attempts to compel coherence is the lesson of every such effort from the Roman drive to stamp out Christianity as a disturber of its pagan unity, the Inquisition as a means to religious and dynastic unity, Siberian exiles as a means to Russian unity, down to the vast failing efforts of present totalitarian enemies. Those who begin coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves exterminating dissenters. Compulsory unification of opinion achieves only the unanimity of the graveyard. Too many graveyards. Too many graveyards in history. And we've got too much history here to go that route, the route of Rome or the route of the Inquisition, political, religious, or otherwise, or the route of Russia and the Soviet Union. Let's not emulate those who we've defeated. Let's impose our yoke of ideology on them and not allow them to impose theirs on ours. How about that? That was part of we win, you lose too, you know. God bless you all. Until Monday. Class dismissed.